Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Jude, we are, should I say chapter 1? I think we know by now. There's only one chapter. We're going to begin in verse 5 today. Jude chapter 5. I want to tell you quickly, thank you so much for your prayers. I leaned over and told my wife a moment ago, I said, I feel stronger today than I have any day since I've been back. Uh, seriously, I, I, there have been a few days, I tell you, you couldn't see it, but my legs were shaking in my side my pants trying to I was just so weak and I, it's taken me a long time to to build my strength and uh, but uh, the other day I broke the 28 minute mile uh, walking and so uh, too late for Tokyo I know but uh, no I you just keep praying for me God is uh, getting me healthy I'm getting stronger and smaller. Those are two things I needed desperately. And don't clap, okay? Just, just pray with me about that. But thank you, Lord. We're going to look at three verses today. Jude, verse 5. I hope you have a way, by the way, of maybe taking some notes from time to time. If you have your phone or whatever you're looking on, I know we uh, kind of go electronic a lot of times nowadays. That's fine. Uh, maybe you can take some notes there, but we'll say a few things, a few scripture references. Maybe if you jot them down, it would help. I don't know, but uh, we're going to talk about some important things today. Jude in chapter, or chapter 1, verse 5. Now, I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all. That's one of the hardest little phrases in all of the Greek to translate. We think he means, you knew this at one time. But the wording is so hard for us to bring over into the English. We have no doubt about what he said in Greek. But translating it, it sounds like he's telling them in context here that you knew all of this at one time, but maybe you forgot. That's why he's reminding them. After saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently he destroyed those who did not believe. Ah, they remember now. And angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And then he gives us a third example from the Old Testament. He said, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these, they indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh. They are exhibited as an example of undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. 
Matt Walsh, in his book, Church of Cowards, it's, it, it is a strong book, as the title would indicate. There's a quote I want to read from him. He deals with the question, why does God stay hidden? It seems he does to some degree. He says that atheists say, well, if he were real, he would show himself. And if all God wanted, Walsh says, was our belief, then I'm sure he would do exactly that. In fact, it would be cruel for him to remain hidden if belief and belief alone could get us to where God wants us to be. But God wants our love. And we cannot love without making the choice to do so. He must, therefore, remain out of view for now, revealing himself in indirect ways, mostly working within the chain of natural cause and, and effect, speaking to us in our hearts, but maybe not audibly, because that is the only environment in which choice is possible. He explains that in the next paragraph. If we were standing in his presence, looking upon him, all choice would melt away. We would be too overcome with fear and awe, too stupefied. I like that word. Too stupefied, too astonished to develop that in that moment, the quiet and humble love that he desires from us. Think about that. If God showed up in the parking lot out here today, both feet touched down, and we could see him in all his glory and all his power and all his might and majesty, I doubt anybody would leave this building today with a doubt in their mind that, boy, God really does exist. He really is real. We saw him. He was in our parking lot today. And then, of course, your friends would would think you were crazy, but if he did that, and, and sometimes it, it's, it's almost like, that's a good question. Why doesn't God just say, hey, I'm sick of people wondering if I'm real or not. They can't look around them and tell. He's, he says, everything I've made screams of who I am. It describes all of the invisible things about me. And yet people don't believe. It looks like God, if he had no more discipline than I do, would just say, I've had enough. I'm going to go down there and shake the place up. And I'm going to make sure they all know that I'm real before I come back. But that's not what God is wanting from us. He wants a relationship. As a matter of fact, if you read the Gospels, and especially the Gospel of Mark, you who have been to seminary, several of you have, or, or studied this before in other places, you have heard about the messianic secret. It is prominent in the Gospel of Mark. It's where Jesus heals people or does some miraculous work in their life, and then he tells them, don't tell anybody what you saw. When Bartimaeus and his friend were crying out, uh, to heal us, son of David. We're blind, and, and, and we need to be healed, son of David. And he knew that that was a term that was politically charged. He pulled them inside of a house, and he quieted them down. He said, okay, I'm going to heal you. This is a paraphrase. But knock off the son of David stuff. 
I'm not ready for that. As a matter of fact, when his mother in John chapter 2 looked at him and said, hey, they've run out of wine and you know, I know what you can do. Why don't you uh, fix us up some wine, maybe a, a Chablis or whatever. I have no idea what I'm talking about in that area, okay? I didn't even know what that is. But uh, why don't you fix us up a wine? You, you, I know you can do it. And he looks at her, if you remember, almost in a rebuking way. And he says, woman. He says, woman. He says, my time has not yet come. I'm not ready to turn it all loose yet. I'm not ready to make myself known in that kind of public way. So he does make wine from dirty, nasty foot washing water. And he kind of lets the man of the house take credit for having kept the good wine till last and brought out the really good stuff. And I'm sure that guy was like, well, yeah, that's kind of what I did, yeah. Jesus was careful about that because he doesn't want to, I mean, he could stun us into believing in him. He's so awesome, so powerful, it's amazing. He has to be sovereign and omnipotent to even to be able to hide himself. Think about that. If you were God and were going to keep yourself a secret, you'd have to be God. That's the only one powerful enough to keep yourself a secret. And it's not that he stays secret in all things, but he doesn't want a relationship with us simply because he stunned us or just blew our mind. He wants a real, intimate relationship with us. So when we go back and look at the Bible, and Jude has given us three Old Testament passages, why so much Old Testament? There's tons of stories in the Old Testament, and, and, and we have them all throughout, and and they're examples to us. We, we, we can understand that. But why so, so many uh, of those? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, For us to not to try the Lord as some of them did, and they were destroyed. That's in verse 9, 1 Corinthians 10, 9. And in verse 10, he says, Nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now listen to verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction. God was speaking to us then. They were written to us for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We're living in these last days, and we have been ever since Acts chapter 2. And he says, because you are in these days, Cornerstone Fellowship, Pastor Mike, Mike and Mike and the other three, all of us, he said, because you're in the midst of this uh, uh, last days, because you have, uh, you, God has chosen you and, and, and the church as we know it today to be the light in this particular darkness, he says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed. He says, look at the Old Testament. Take heed that he does not fall, because David didn't take heed and he fell. Samson thought he stood, but he fell, and, and Saul thought he stood, but, but he fell, and, and Adam thought he stood, but he fell. All of these examples are given to us from the 
Old Testament. It is God speaking to us. It is God nudging us along with His Word. And so He is not clothed in total darkness. He is speaking to us, and He's speaking to us through His Word. And I know if you have no faith in God whatsoever, then you just look at the Old Testament as a bunch of old crazy stories that there's no way in the world they could be true, and on and on and on. And you can look at them however you want to. But if you know the Lord is your personal Savior, you've trusted in Him, Paul says all of these stories will be a great example to you. Jude says, let me give you three of them. And he names three sins, or he describes three sins that were committed by people in the Old Testament. Let's look at them. Number one, he talks about ingratitude. In verse 5, he says, Now I desire to remind you that, though you know all this already, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently, or afterwards, he destroyed those who did not believe. Because they were ungrateful. As a matter of fact, if we go to that passage, and, and we would be, excuse me, in the book of Numbers, Several chapters in Numbers cover this episode, but in Numbers 14, verse 26, God asked Moses, he says, how long will I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? They had sent 12 spies into the promised land, and 10 of them came back and said, we cannot go in and take it. We've gotten all the way here. God led us all the way across this desert. Moses, you were in on it too. You led us all the way over here to a dead end because when we went in the land, what we saw, they were giants. The spies saw two different things though because two of the spies, only two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb says, well, yeah, they have some big people, but you ought to see the grapes over there. You ought to see the goodness of the land. And it goes back to that old uh, saying about hummingbirds and buzzards. They can fly over the same field and they see two different things. And the reason a buzzard sees dead, decaying, stinky, nasty stuff is because that's exactly what he's looking for. And the hummingbird can fly over the very same field and not notice one bit of that. But he sees flowers and nectar and life and things like that. And that's what catches his eye. So what I'm saying to you is we see what we are looking for. And those spies, those ten, the majority, notice here, this is probably the only time in all of Scripture where God's people voted on anything. And the majority wound up wrong. Man, they wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb. In Numbers chapter 13, verse 33, they said, We saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak. They were all part of the Nephilim. And, 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 and we became like grasshoppers in our sight. And so we were in their sight. They compared themselves to their challengers and 
instead of comparing their God. They could have said, we look like grasshoppers in their sight. But God, in your sight, after all the things we've seen you do throughout the wilderness, we've seen you bring water out of a rock. We've seen you bring quail meat out of the sea. We've seen you rain down bread out of the sky. We would be nothing but fools to say that there's no way we can go in and possess the land. You can take care of those enemies as you've taken care of all of them so far. But they were fools. And they didn't go in. Well, God told them, I'm going to do the worst thing possible. I'm going to give you what you want. As a matter of fact, these smart alecks, boy, and they were. They asked Moses one day, says, why did you bring us out here in the desert, Moses? Were there not enough graves in Egypt to bury us all so we could die there? Boy, tell me church members didn't exist in the Old Testament. Man, don't you know he wanted to put both hands on that stick and just hit them right in the teeth? He didn't want to do the job to start with. He had sheep that didn't talk back to him, and he herded them for 40 years. They were animals, and, and they were dumb and couldn't read, but these were dumber and could read and, 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 and were mean and, and didn't want to listen to him. It was constantly something like that. One time they uttered some words, though, and, of course, God doesn't forget anything. He said, I remember hearing some of you say, oh, that we would just die here in this wilderness. God says, I'm going to do the worst thing ever. I'm going to answer your prayer. I'm going to let you die in the wilderness. And you know the story. Everybody 20 years old and older, other than Joshua and Caleb and their families, they died in the wilderness. Oh, but after they found out that, when God said that, when they realized God meant what he said, when they realized they were in trouble, they told Moses, they said, oh, no, 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 no. We, we, didn't, we didn't mean that. We, we're, we're ready to go. We're ready to go. Yeah, yep, that was a mistake. We, we got it now. We didn't mean to make God mad and all of that. Uh, we, we're, we're ready to go. And Moses told him, says, don't. You'll go without me and you'll go without God and you will be defeated. And they went anyway and they didn't take the ark which represented the presence of God and Moses didn't go with them. They went anyway and when they got to the edge of the promised land they were defeated sorely and driven back into the wilderness and they knew then we are doomed. And we're doomed by our own words. That's an example for us, Jude says, remember that. You who are living in those last days, he had no idea that we would still be living in 2021. But he knew that the church was in its last days, had no idea how long that would be. But to us, he is saying to us, make sure you don't forget these Old Testament passages. When God leads you to do something just because it's bigger than you, that's probably a good sign that God's the one leading you to do it. Here's an old saying you've heard before, but it's so true. God will never lead you to do anything that you can do without him. Why do you think God would ever ask you to do something within your capabilities? You think that would impress him? No. 
He's not into all of that. God wants you to do something that would glorify Him and not glorify ourselves. Secondly, He deals with the sin of pride. Here He talks about a passage that we find in 2 Peter and maybe in Genesis 6. We don't know for sure if this is the same incident that he is speaking of. Scholars are divided. Good thing for us, we don't have to sort that out to get the meaning of the illustration. In verse 6, And angels who did not keep their own domain, God created them. Domain means you have dominion. Uh, Damas means house in Latin, so they had a place, and they were over that place, and that was their place, but they got out of their place. I'm not sure when that happened. It could have been in the Genesis 6 passage prior to the flood. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But we do know at some point there were some of the angels that got out of hand and they left their place. Uh, They didn't stay in their lane, as we would say nowadays. They got too big for their britches. They decided that they could do things that God had not allowed them to do. And it says that he kept them in eternal bonds under darkness for judgment for that great day. One day God will judge them. As a matter of fact, in 2 Peter, when he talks about this incident, he says he put them in hell. And the word he uses for hell is not Hades or Gehenna or Sheol, but it is a word Tartarus. And Tartarus came from uh, Greek mythology, and the Greek mythology believed, uh, or the Greeks believed that Tartarus was the lowest part of hell. That's where the, the, the worst of the worst went. And, and so Peter utilizes that word. He said he locked them up in the lowest part of hell, and one of these days he will drag them back out and judge them for what they did. The message there, God says even angels don't get away with rebelling against me. I'm a loving God and I'm patient. I have loving kindness and I show mercy. But don't challenge me. When I give you a place, stay in it. When I give you authority, keep it. But don't step outside of that authority. Don't let pride get a hold of you and take you places you have no business being. And we can see that all the time. Man, I'm telling you, I, I, I'm, I'm so bothered sometimes. And, and the older I get, the, the more cautious I am about this because I don't know what's in other pastors' hearts. And, and so I, I don't want to start pretending that I do. But boy, I know a lot of times uh, uh, I see videos and stuff uh, of of preachers. Boy, they just, uh, it it is almost like they're just full of themselves. And and so I want to tell you something. Pray for me and pray for these other pastors because it could happen to us as well. We could step out of our place. We could get beyond our authority that God has given us. Pride is a terrible 
terrible sin, and, and it is so deceptive. And, and sometimes it might be that you think, oh, I'm just glorying in the blessings of God, and, and I'm just humbly telling the world that we had a thousand baptisms last year. And I listened to a preacher last night from Charlotte. I won't even tell you his name. You would all know him. But I can tell you his church is very popular and all that. He was preaching heresy, and he was doing it with man authority and power. And he was bragging about how his church under his preaching had done. I, 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 I don't know his heart. I would be scared to say those things. I would be afraid to say them. The third one, and the last one, is immorality. Talked about ingratitude with the children of Israel and in the wilderness, pride with the angels in heaven and immorality. Verse 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they are in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality. And they went after strange flesh. Um, The Greek translation of the Hebrew, because I don't know the Hebrew word there, but it's heteros uh, sarkos, I believe. It's different flesh. It could mean animals. It could mean homosexuality. We know that homosexuality was one of the horrible sins that took place there in Sodom and Gomorrah. They went after the other flesh, in other words. They are exhibited as, God exhibited them, He put them up for us to see, we better look, as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Man, when God ripped into Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, there's hardly a town mentioned in Scripture especially no large cities. I know of none, except for Sodom and Gomorrah, that we have never, ever found a single evidence of the ruins of either one of those cities. That means when God puts his foot through the front door, it's a big foot. When God decides to absolutely devastate and destroy. We think Sodom and Gomorrah is probably because they were out in this area that they're probably at the bottom of the Dead Sea. One of the things you don't ever want God to do, and this might be useless information, but just in case you were thinking about it, you never want God to turn your life into a sea. I'll make a water hole out of you especially a dead one. It's amazing. Let's look at this one. For people who think that, yeah, there he goes again, preaching on that Old Testament God. That that Old Testament God, boy, he was rough. I I hate it when people (laughs) act like Jesus is the New Testament God, and he's a kinder, gentler, more user-friendly God. But that Old Testament God, whew, 
Boy, he was something. Glad we didn't live back then. Isn't it great that we were born in the New Testament era, so we have a, a God who understands. I, I want to tell you something. Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. And let me say something else that I think people miss because they say they read the Bible, but they lie. I've had drunks tell me before, I've, I've read the whole whole Bible. And I'm like, I don't b believe you have. Do you know way before any of this happened, if you went back before God ever got into it with Sodom and Gomorrah, there was what we call the War of the Kings. There were a group of kings that got in a fight. Four jumped on five and beat the tar out of and two of them that got whipped were the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah. Well, because Abraham had a nephew that he couldn't do a thing with, okay? He was in his tent all day long playing video games. No, I don't know what he was doing. But Lot didn't have the wisdom of his uncle. Matter of fact, if you look at Lot, the book of Genesis says, and I read it this week, I, as a matter of fact, it got me out from behind my desk and I had to go over and tell Mike Deese about it. But it says in the book of Genesis that Lot looked towards Sodom, and then it says he moved near Sodom, and then thirdly, he moved in Sodom. That's usually how it works. Most people don't move to Sodom right off. They just get to notice. Boy, those people over there, they really live it up. And it's a nice place and all of that. As a matter of fact, when, when the angels that God sends to rescue Lot come to him, he's living in a house. They had just left Abraham who was living in a tent. So Lot, is, he's in the suburbs. He is out there. or He's in downtown, actually. I mean, he is, he's got a house People had tons of money there. They had tons of fun there, so to speak. It was the place to be. But Lot starts seeing all of that, and the next thing you know, it begins to draw him to it, and the next thing you know, Lot has moved in. You know, Lot is an interesting character. We never see one time, and maybe he did, but we don't have one record anywhere of Lot ever building an altar and crying out to God. Never. We have of his uncle Abraham, but never of Lot. Well, when these kings go to war, and Sodom and Gomorrah, this is for people who think God's just full of hate. He's just mean. That Old Testament God, he's bad. I'm glad he's gone. He's not gone. But when Sodom and Gomorrah got overrun, well, little Lot got hauled off as a POW. And Abraham had, he must have had a security detail to die for. Because he actually had an army of his own guys and he got together and went to war against these kings and defeated them and brought back everything they took from Sodom and Gomorrah. And instead of keeping it, he gave it all back to the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. They took their food. 
they were going to starve to death. They took everything they had of any wealth. Abraham went and rescued all of this stuff and gave it right back to these wicked kings who ruled these wicked cities. He said, I'll take nothing from you because I never want the day to come to somebody to say that the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah made Abraham who he is. God's the one that made me who I am. He said, I did have some help. He says, you can give to those who help me, but don't give me a dime. Abraham rescued those cities. And then you remember when God says, I'm going to destroy the place. Abraham said, God, what, what if? What if I can find 50 righteous men? Will you spare it? What did God say? If you can find 50. Now, man, that's shooting low. That must have been a bad city. It'd be like looking at Charlotte and saying, God, if I can find five Christians down there, will you spare Mecklenburg County? If I find 50 righteous men, will you spare it? God said, I'll spare it. Well, Abraham thought, that might be shooting a little high. What about 45? If I find 45, will you spare it? And he finally got all the way down to 10. And God said, if you can find 10 righteous men in those cities, I will spare them. But Abraham could not. And God unleashed it on them. You know, I I'm, love science, and I love studying science in conjunction with Scripture. The area where Sodom and Gomorrah were, that place was full of this bituminous soil. It was like oil-soaked dirt. It was almost hard as coal. And so that is a sign of volcanic activity that had been there at some time. And I'm not trying to demythologize. If you went to seminary, you heard that word too. But I'm not trying to demythologize the miracle and say, well, it really wasn't God that did it. There was a volcano that hit about that time. God's sovereign, so when they go off, they go off because he said go off, okay? So I don't care what he used, how he used it, God did it. And the reason I know that is because God said he did it. Something erupted. And we're told by scientists, archaeologists and geologists, that what would have happened was this stuff would have lit and exploded and it would have went straight up. And when we talk about it raining down fire, there would be blobs, huge blobs, maybe the size of what would fit in a dump truck of just boiling, uh, fiery, burning, oily dirt that would go way into the sky And it would come down, and when it hit, it would just explode and go everywhere. And they said, even if it lands in water, it'll just burn and burn and burn. It it will not even quench it. Boy, when God decides to tear something up, he can tear it up. You know, I think about our world sometimes. In 535 A.D., there was an eruption at Mount Krakatoa. You guys that went through Jude with me before you heard this story, but I think it's so cool. There was an explosion in 535 that blew so much. And this is Krakatoa, which is near Indonesia. Is that right, Mike? Thank you. Got a thumbs up. When it went off, 
for several years, crops wouldn't grow because there was so much dust in the atmosphere worldwide. The sun wasn't able to pierce it enough to grow the crops. That's one way we knew how to date this explosion. We knew it happened, and then we discovered the famine. As a matter of fact, too, not enough time to get into it now. But the fall of the Roman Empire coincides with them losing their ability to grow food about 535 A.D. It was catastrophic. It's been estimated that when Krakatoa went off as a volcano, it had the power of 2,000 million Hiroshima bombs. Now, I don't know how they figured that out. Not 2,001 million. But they estimated 2,000 million bombs like were dropped on Hiroshima. Man, think about that. Boy, God, when, when you look at our earth, look at the way God made it. But God destroyed all of that. Let's close today with looking at Lot, though. We've been given this example. Let's make sure we learn what he's trying to tell us. One, this was, God's, this was a man of God. Matter of fact, 2 Peter says Lot was a righteous man, and he was grieved every day by what he saw. I can tell you, that's a little hard to understand because Lot does not seem like a righteous man. But I'll tell you what Lot was, and I've seen a lot of people like Lot. Maybe that's why God named him Lot. But they may be born-again Christians, and they love the Lord, but they, 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 they absolutely terrorize themselves. They punish themselves every day because they live in hell. They hang out with people who don't care about their God. They invite them to church. They're never going to show up. They, they enjoy the pleasure they have with those people. And sometimes they may even indulge in certain things. But, but they, it's like a man that's got a foot in two different canoes. You, you, it's just not going to work. You, you, you either are going to serve God or you're not going to serve God. You cannot. Jesus didn't say you should not. He says you cannot serve two masters. And if you want to see a man and how his life ended up trying to do that very thing, take a look at light man but according to the scripture he started out popular and Genesis 19 1 it says he sat at the gate well you know who sat at the gate that was the Zakanin or the elders if you remember it's very possible that lot was a political leader in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah he was also prosperous. We, also, we already talked about his house. But we also know that he himself had also become perverted when the angels came to his house who looked like men. The men of Sodom came and beat his door down and said, Hey, we saw two guys come in your house. Send them out to us because we want to have sex with them. And you know what Lot said? Lot, is, here he is. Here are the two canoes He's trying to, to 
to, to, he knows all oh, these are angels of God. You guys, man, why did you show up now? It's, it's like when the pastor's over and your friend shows up with the beer. Oh, man, putting a core. Yeah, that's what happened. The angels show up, and these guys are beating on the door. Lot says, look, 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 look. These are angels of God. Yeah, whatever. Send them out to Lot is so bent on trying to maintain his dual duplicity. He says, here, take my two daughters. They're virgins. They've never been with a man. And have your way with them. But leave these men alone. Boy, when that's all you got to try to keep yourself out of trouble with God, you are one pathetic human being. That's what happens when you try to live for the Lord and you try to live in the world. Secondly, he was pathetic. (laughs) That was on the list. In chapter 19, verse 14, when God told him, we're going to, the angels told him, God's going to destroy the place. You've got to get out of here. He went to his sons-in-laws. He had several daughters. A couple of them were already married. He went to them to tell them, we've got to go. We've got to go. Listen, I, I, I know you've not seen me talk much about him, but I, I serve a God. I'm a servant of a God that he is about to wreck this place, and you don't want to be here. And you know what they did? They laughed at him. They thought he was joking. He had ruined his testimony. You, Lot, hey, man, I want some of what Lot's got, man. You got a hold of some good stuff, dude. You're seeing visions and, and, and you, wow, man. Whoever thought of something like that? And Lot realizes, no, 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 no. I'm trying to tell you the truth. God really is going to destroy this place. But his testimony by then, it was pathetic. Just think about it. I don't know you and your life. I'm not God. It's not my place to. But what if you tried to tell the people at work about Jesus and the miraculous transformation He's made in your life? Would they look at you and go, when did He make it? Yesterday? Well, you sure cussed awful loud last week when such and such happened. Man. But think about that. Are there places in your life right now you know that? Well, here at church I can talk a mean Jesus, buddy. But if I went to my family, if I went to friends of mine that I hang out with and I tried to tell them about Jesus, they would laugh me out of the house. Oh, I can guzzle suds with the best of them. I can tell nasty jokes. I can watch porn with them. I can do all those kinds of things. But I couldn't win them to the Lord if my life depended on it because my testimony is a joke. Jude says, God is trying to show us this. And then last of all, he was poisoned. He was poisoned. When they took him out, they had to drag him, pull him by the arms to get him out of the place. The fire's starting to fall. God tells him, you get out and get out now and don't look back. Well, his wife looked back. And, of course, he, she turned into a pillar of salt. And I, 
I, I can tell you that must be significant because in Luke's gospel, we know the verses were added many, many years later, but there's one verse where Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Okay? She made the New Testament. She looked back. God said, don't look back. I don't want you longing to maybe go back or, or, or wishing, oh, if we could, I just wish this place hadn't burned to the ground. Or, or we had so many great memories or whatever. Don't even look back. You keep your head going this way or I'll leave you here. They were going to carry Lot to safety. Lot begged the two angels. He says, let, let, let me go over to this little town of Zor. I don't want to go too far away. I'm scared. And after he had been in Zor for a while, he wound up moving out of there and into a cave. He's paranoid by now. He's losing his mind. And the two daughters that he had with him who were virgins knew that they were not going to have sons. That their father had taken them to a place where they would never meet men and marry. So they got him drunk. One night one went in and slept with him. She had a son later on named Moab. The next night the other one got him drunk and she went in and slept with him. Her own daddy. Lot sleeping with his daughters now. Must be proud of himself. She has a son who becomes the father of the Ammonite. And both of those people, the Moabites and the Ammonites, were a pain in the side to God's people forever. But to show you the grace of God, if you go and you look at the book of Deuteronomy, Moses tells the Israelites that do go into the promised land. He says, when you get to the land of Ammon and Amnon and you get to the land of Moab, leave it alone because I'm going to give it to Lot's descendants. Man. So I want to close with a question. How in the world can somebody like Lot be considered righteous? Well, I know Lot did some pretty wild things. But I know another guy. I still can't figure out how he gets to be considered righteous either. And that's your pastor. Oh, I could compare my life to Lot, but I wouldn't get very far. There's some things he did maybe I've not done. But I was as far away from being righteous as you would think Lot would be. Because the way we become righteous is not by our strength and power, not by what we do, but we are declared righteous when we receive his gift of righteousness. I, I really didn't think much about that. And you can go, boy, you should have, Pastor. Maybe so. I didn't think much about that till this week. I was thinking, now how am I going to explain to the church Sunday how a guy like 
Lot could be considered righteous. Peter says he was. Well, and then it dawned on me. I guess I could just use me as an example. And you could use you as one. We're not righteous by what we do. I'm not saying you can go live your life like Lot unless you think this is attractive. I doubt anybody's going to leave here today in their right mind and go, man, I want to be like Lot. That rhymes with rot. I doubt it. And some of you, will you let me say this in love? You look like you're trying to do that very thing. You look like you're trying to be one person here and somebody else when you're not here. That's a horrible way to live, isn't it? Isn't it tough when your two worlds meet? The next time you have the guys over for football, you're going to invite me? What if I just showed up unannounced and I have, well, I'm nothing, but... What if the two groups ever get together? <laughs> I'm scared to go to the grocery store. I can't tell you how many times that I've seen people that I know that I go to church with and they got stuff in their buggy and by the time I get to the end of the aisle, they got everything on that aisle in their buggy. There's something down in there that they're trying to cover up. You really need ten bags of flour, do you? It's bad when your two lives come together. And that duplicitous double life begins to hold you accountable. Tough way to live. Let's bow. I want to give you an opportunity right now. If you know in your heart that Man, I, I'm not where I need to be. If, if you're willing to humble yourself, now if you still want to fight about it, just never mind. If you're sitting there justifying all those things, if you're sitting there trying to find somebody else in the church that's worse than you, never mind. But if you really are serious about it, maybe you're finally at the point in your life you are sick and tired. Living two lives is tough. Living one life's hard enough. But living two is really difficult. Maybe right now you'd like to say, Lord, I want you to have all of me. I don't deserve it, God. I've not earned it but I want you to have all of me. I'm tired of being two people. I'm tired of living like this. You sent Jude, who wrote years ago, to give me an example that Pastor Mike would preach about today just to help open my eyes. God, I'd be a fool if I left here and didn't cry out to you right now and say, Lord, I'm tired. 
I'm tired of the things I've allowed in my life. I didn't intend to go there. Maybe you're like Lot. Maybe you look there. Maybe you moved a little closer there. And then one day you realize, no, I'm living here. I have made my home in a place where it doesn't belong. Maybe you'd like to say, God, I want to finally be the man or the woman that I profess to be. Maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord. You've never trusted Him as your Savior. You never really understood what that meant. Maybe you had doubts because you kept wondering too, why don't God just show up one day and then that'll do it. We'll all know and we'll all be good to go. He is reaching out to you because He wants a relationship with you. He don't want to just shock you into an awareness of Him. You can believe in the moon because you can see it, but you have no relationship with it. It's a, it's a cold, dark rock. God wants to be more than that in your life. Maybe right now you would say, Lord, I do believe you died for me. And I've believed it with my head, but in my heart today, God, I ask you, to let your righteousness become a gift to me. Because mine, no matter how hard I work, no matter how many promises I make to do better, I never make it. God, I don't want to leave here today lost. I want to know you as my Savior right now. You say, I forgot most of those words, preacher. You can forget nearly all of them. But you tell God that you want to belong to him when you leave here today. You want to be saved. You don't need to worry about the words. Tell him right now. I know we've had more distractions today. It seems like about every time we settle in, we got a crackle or a pop or silence or something. I, I hope that hasn't distracted you today. I promise we did our very best to minimize all of that. Because I wanted you to hear today that Jude sent you a letter to remind you of what God can do for your life. Lord, I come to you right now as we close. I pray for that brother, that sister, whoever it might be, Lord. Maybe they are a born-again Christian. Maybe they really do know you as their Savior. But, Lord, they've gotten all crossed up. And they're trying to live two lives, God. I pray you'd help them. I pray, Lord, that you would show them your grace today. I pray, God, that it would draw them so that it would be like when the angels got locked. Grab them by the arms and drag them out of that hell in which they live, Lord. Drag them out of it. I pray the conviction would be so strong today, Lord, that you would pull them out of that Sodom in which they live. Lord, I pray for those that may not have ever known you. Maybe they've never accepted you as their Lord and Savior.
Maybe they've never trusted your righteousness and your death on the cross to forgive them of their sinfulness. Lord, I pray that they would today. Thank you so much for your word. You preserved it this long for us, God. Thank you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.